0: are not sure you're listening, and they're not sure anyone cares, and I pray today that you would show them that they're not alone, that this life following Jesus, even though it's not for the faint of heart, it's filled with inspiration, power, and hope. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> don't you hate it when you get all emotional and you don't even know why? I'm getting old. You know, my mother was a woman, so I'm half woman. That's, that's it right there. So uh, someone handed me a word this morning uh, that they, they got through prayer, and so I wanted to read that to you because I, I'm a, I think it's for somebody. I think someone's out there that is feeling alone and is really struggling with their peace. And just a brief word, and I appreciate you handing that to me. Uh, it says, "Oh, dear Christians, be at peace and know the line of Judah has things under control. Be a whosoever, John 3.16, believe and receive. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. Thank you very much. So uh, I'm trying to do a lot with this series called Waypoints, trying to help you catch up on who ordinary faith is and also trying to help you get a good footing in your faith in general. So it's a big task, and today we're also going to be installing some new leaders onto our leadership team, and we want you to be a part of that and join us in prayer as we do that, as we anoint them. And so, uh, so a lot to do today, and uh, so I just want to warn you that I will also probably get wound up here in a minute and have no idea what time it is, and uh, I don't know what your lunch plans are. Maybe you should back them up a little bit. I don't know. Yes. Just right. kidding. Just kidding. Contrary to common assumptions, the Christian life is not a solo sport. You can't do this alone. And this is very important for you to understand. So as we come together today and we, uh, we talk about waypoints and what we are doing with waypoints, you know, waypoints are you, you make a point in your journey and then you, you look to the next point. So last week we talked about starting on the way and starting to follow Jesus And today we're going to be talking about that next process, which is learning to honor God as you follow Jesus Christ and doing that together. But before I get into the content and so forth, I'd like to take a minute and just kind of familiarize you with a little bit of ordinary faith concepts. We try and talk about this stuff as often as we can, but... You know, we don't always hit everybody, You're, not everyone's here at the same time, and so forth, so we have to cover things you know often to get through them. And so today's title is called "The Team," and I think that's really appropriate for today because we're installing leaders onto the leadership team. Why teams? If you came from a different faith background, whatever you may have come from, your leadership in your church, you probably thought of the pastor, deacons. Maybe elders, maybe deaconesses, you know, depending on what your faith background was. You may have had bishops, you may have had overseers, all these different views. So when we started Ordinary Faith, some of the challenges that we wrestled with was, how can we not argue about all that stuff? You know, it's true, because a lot of churches come together and they they pick these labels and these names and they spend the rest of their existence fighting among themselves (laughs) and with other faiths about them as to why they're right. We just assumed from the beginning we wouldn't be right. So, I thought that was funny. (laughs) I just gave you permission to laugh, okay? Hey, you can laugh at ordinary faith. Even if I do something stupid unintentionally, you can laugh. It's fine. In fact, fun is something I think is very important to the kingdom of God. I think it's a, a gift. The joy of the Lord is our strength, is how the text goes. So what we do at Ordinary Faith is we, instead of having all those arguments about deacons and elders, because when I got into the word, the word deacon just means serve, servant. The word elder just meant older. And so I'm like, I don't know why everybody's fighting about this stuff. So what we decided to do was we would come together and capture uh, everything through teams. So everything we do at church is is team-led. And we avoid all the arguments. We also, it's very important to me, and you may disagree, disagree with this, but it's okay, I'll hug you and love you anyway, and I'm not saying I'm exactly right, but I think it's very important to have our ladies involved in the discussions and concerning leadership. And so uh, it's very important to me because what would happen, I served in deacon-led churches for years, and all the deacons would come together, and we'd make all these very powerful masculine decisions, and then we would all go home and talk to our wives, and they would tell us why that was a stupid decision. (laughs) Then we would come back together and remake the decision with the wisdom of our wives. So I decided to skip that step, and we bring ladies into our leadership team so we can know what's going on and have the feminine perspective from the beginning. So, oh, someone likes that one. (laughs) But at the same time, we want to honor Scripture. We want to do things as, as, we want to be as obedient to the Word of God as we can be. So um, we felt like that in the Bible, I always, this is a Michael thing, so it's not the inspired Word of God, but I always honor function over form. What it means is, is I always want to know what is this going to accomplish, Not, does it look good? (laughs) Does it look like people want it? I always want to know what the product's going to be. So I really like results. And as I studied the Bible, I began to realize that elders and deacons were these people that loved Jesus, they loved their body, and they served. And as they served, they floated to the top. They gained influence, and they led. And that is how it works in the kingdom of Jesus. People serve, and they love, and that's how they lead. Does that make sense? Jesus was a servant leader. You, I don't know that you'll see any huge CEO or political leader sit down and wash the feet of his second-tier leaders, but Jesus did. And so we have to keep that in mind. So we're big fans of team leadership. We're big fans of participatory membership is what I call it. What's that mean? A lot of people come to me and they say, hey, man, how do I join Ordinary Faith? And uh, I I'll, I'll say, it's easy. Show up and serve. Be a part. Participate. Why? So the last church I served before Ordinary Faith had a, a attendance each week of about 100 to 200 people and a membership role of well over 1,500 not, see, 15, so 1,425 I had never met in my pastoral leadership of that church of three years. So I began to realize that all the form of record-keeping, of membership, wasn't getting her done. So, And there was all these people coming to church that were part of us, and they were helping, and they were serving, and they were loving, and we had a responsibility to them as our members, so to speak, as well. So at Ordinary Faith, at the time, it was a novel concept. It's not anymore. A lot of churches do this now, but when we started, we said, you know what? We're just not even going to do the membership thing. If you're part of us, then we're here for you. We're going to serve you. We're going to love you. Even if you're just out there on the fringe, we're going to do everything we can to love and serve you and be responsible for you. So we're team-led, and we have a participatory membership. You don't join, but when you serve and when you're part of us, I mean, there's like tears, right? You, you start coming, that's a tier of engagement and participation. You start giving, that's a, leveling up. You start serving, that's, that's deeper into it. You begin leading. Service takes you to leadership. By the way, for me, when I'm looking for leaders, I don't look for, for people who aren't engaged. If someone isn't willing to clean toilets, they are not worthy to lead people, Okay. I'm just telling you, Michael's cleaned lots of toilets. Now, that is definitely a redneck way of looking things, but that's where I come from, okay? (laughs) And so those are the things that I I think of. Another thing you need to know about us is that we major on the majors. This is very important to us. I come from, I was raised in an independent, fundamental, Baptist, dislike everyone else church. (laughs) I thought it was funny. Thanks, Becky. <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm independent Baptist. They're great. My parents are independent Baptists. I love their, their church, their pastor they're in. I'm not trying to insult that. I just was raised with a certain view that we were right. Everyone who disagreed was, they were kind of wrong to extremely wrong, you know? As I began to read the Bible, I began to realize, <clears throat> we're all wrong. We're all going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to go, well, you missed that one. But I love you anyway. <laughs> come on in. You goofed up, but I paid for that, you know, that kind of thinking, right? And so <clears throat> we like to focus on the majors. There, we have people in this church that come from um, Catholic backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, Pentecostal backgrounds, charismatic, all those different faiths, lots of different views. It's a miracle that we're still we're able to work together. It's, I really believe it's the grace of God the goodness of God. And I think it's really important. This is my dream for the church throughout the world that if we could just stop finding things wrong with each other and start finding ways to work together even though we disagree. So if you are at Ordinary Faith, you're just checking us out, I'll just warn you right up front. If you want to argue about stuff, we are probably not the church for you. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be rude. There's at least three or four other churches in town that they're all about that, and I will give you their addresses, but uh, and I introduce you to their pastors and sit down and buy you coffee and help that transition happen. But uh, I'm seriously, I'm just trying to tell you, we're trying to figure out how to work together, not figure out reasons not to work together. Okay, we all have our different views. You should hear Steve and I. In fact. Every now and then, Steve and I will get into it at a leadership team meeting, and people realize how open and transparent our relationship is, and I love it. I grew up in a culture that was very, uh, I don't know, passive-aggressive, that's right. So I I like openness and that kind of stuff. So Steve and I have open discussions. We either agree or we disagree, and we agree to disagree, but he's my brother, one of my best friends, and that's, I think, how it should be. And so that's kind of how we roll at Ordinary Faith. So we like to major on the majors. If you disagree with us, it's okay. We still love you. If you want to fight about it, we still love you. But there are fight clubs all over town. We're not interested in being a part, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry, I got a little bit carnal, I'm sure, on that. But anyway, my job, my job is to equip you to do the ministry. Steve and I, that's we're staff at Ordinary Faith. We actually have a, a salary and an income. When you give, you part of what you give feeds the hungry children, our hungry children. But our job is not to do the ministry for ordinary faith. Our job is to equip you, all of us, to work together to serve this community. Does that make sense? So now you know that's that's what ordinary faith is about. It's a big task. It's a big task. There's a lot to do. We've been at this, uh, Ordinary Faith will be 10 years old next year. We'll probably figure out some kind of way to celebrate that. Officially. There's some pre history before that, I guess. There was a prequel, but, but uh, officially we've existed for 10, soon be 10 years. And uh, there's, there's a lot we figured out doesn't work, a lot we haven't figured out how to work yet. There's a lot to do in our community, and we love, love, love our city, our county, we love it. And so they're, they're, of all that work, so how are we going to get there? So today we want to talk about the team and we want to remind you that Colossians tells us that the, way, that the way you live, Paul writing to the church, so when he says you, he's talking to you. He's talking to me, but he's talking to you. That the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Your life will produce good fruit all the while you grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, our lives on this earth are not for our own interests, our own purpose, even our own goals. We live to honor God. We start by following Jesus, but we live so that our life points to Jesus, points to the Father, and demonstrates the power of God's Spirit within us. And so how are we going to do that? Why is it important? Where Where does that take us? Well, let's start with the team that you're all a part of as followers of Jesus Christ participating with ordinary faith. What does that mean? It begins with the understanding that every church is kids' church. Every church is kids' church. What do you mean, Michael? Well, the Bible tells us this in 1 John. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. Say children. Children. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. We're kids. And so if we're kids, boy, that really implies a lot of things. It implies a lot of fun things. It should imply a lot of fun things. I was watching Rent, uh, Rent, Flint and Reed. like Brangelina, it's rent. Anyway, so there you go, Paul. There's a new one for you. <laughs> so I was watching Flint and Reed this morning. they are two brothers. They're running around playing as his dad. their dad's up on the guitar and the worship team, and they're having a great time. And then, um, then Flint did something that hurt Reed or hurt his feelings or might have hurt his body. I don't know. They're boys, so you know how boys are. They, they get hurt. And so Reed was, was crying, and Flint was like, oh, my brother's sad. I'm just going to go have fun. And so we, we went and, I, and talked with him a little bit and helped them be brothers again. I came back a minute later and I said to him, I said, okay, are you guys okay now? And he goes, he's my brother. Why would anything be wrong? And I'm thinking to myself, he was crying just 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Kids' church how kids are. They have fun. They enjoy being children. They enjoy being with their parents, even if it's just in their presence. Cayman is my youngest son. He'll be 14 in December. He told me that the other day. I said, do you want to be 21? He says, no, 14. said, okay, got it. Cayman will come into the room and he loves King and Country and he knows their songs word for word for word for word for word. And he will come in and he will put on an entire concert and he just wants us to watch. And that's very hard for me. But anyway, it's just just something children do. Am I saying it's okay to not mature in your faith? No. No. No, no, no. That's not what I mean at all. I am saying this, though. It doesn't matter how mature you get in the Lord, you'll always be a kid. Always be a kid in the kingdom. And so as kids in the kingdom, we have a father. God is our father. Say father. Man, for some of you, that's easy. You, you either have forgiven your father issues, you've worked through them, uh, or you had a good father, and, and he, was, he helped, he was part of your life. But for some of you, calling God a father is tough because you have a really bad image, memory, connection, definition of who a father is. This is the great thing about God as our father. He steps in with love, with mercy, with patience, and he helps us iron out our daddy issues. He is a good, good father. So if you are scared of the term father as compared to God, I get it. We understand. But I want you to know that what the father is going to do in your life is he's going to heal those daddy issues. And you are going to know what it is to have a father. Does that make sense? And so as uh, kids in kids' church, we have a father and we have a family. That's what this is, the family of God. There's an old hymn, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I used to, used to love to sing it. It used to be our handshaking hymn like 25 years ago back in Missouri. But we are family. Of course, we could bring back Sister Sledge and... Never mind, I'll stop. I'm going to do a little 70s bop there, but I I guess I'll back out of that. Uh, I don't have enough rhythm for that anyway. But anyway, we are family. So we need to realize that in the kingdom, being a loner, a a faith hermit is not going to cut it. Really, it's not going to cut it. This is so important because... The number one place that your archenemy, the Bible calls him Satan, the devil, the number one place he wants to hurt you is with your faith family. He's gonna make sure you get hurt in the family of God. Family's tough anyway, right? Just just normal family's tough, right? I mean, in fact, there are people that you're related to that wouldn't even be your friends if they weren't family, right? Look at you, uncomfortable after nudging your husband <sighs> your mother <laughs> and so, in our family, yeah, there, we call christy and i this may sound awful i don 't know if we call them e g r s extra grace required <laughs> there are people. And they're saved, they love the Lord, but they just, they're wounded, they're hurting, they're broken. They, they haven't been healed in those deep places yet, which is what the gospel's about. The gospel is here to heal those deep, broken places. And, and so they, they live out of their wounds and their hurt. And, and it's, it's, once you know what's going on, it just breaks your heart. But it can also be draining. And so we need to realize that we are family together. And and when you get hurt in church, that's that's par for the course. Don't don't get mad at God. God, it's your church. I shouldn't have got hurt there, because God knows that you're proud too. And he knows that when difficult things happen in your life, he can use those to strengthen you, to sharpen you, to purify you, to make you more holy. So don't run away from your church family, which is what most people do. They come in, they get hurt a few times, especially, especially, especially if if they serve or lead. The leaders are leaving the church in droves like crazy and have been for 20 years, but it has really intensified over the last 10. And so, why? Because you're serving, you love Jesus, you think everyone knows what's going on in your head, how much you're sacrificing, how much you're giving, but they don't know that. They only know what's going on in their head. And so, people get hurt. So, don't leave, don't leave the family. Stay together, love each other. I know too many Christians, and one of the it was when we first started ordinary faith. We started in house churches, and it was a phenomenon we were encountering on a weekly basis. Godly people love Jesus, but just can't do the church anymore because they've been hurt so much. And I get it. And if Jesus hadn't drug me back, I'd probably be out there with them, Steve. And Becky would be out there with them. Amen. And I'm just telling you, it's a family. Don't leave. Don't leave. And by the way, if it's me that offends you, and that's highly likely. <laughs> highly likely. You know what? I, I, haven't, I haven't bitten anybody in a long time. I mean, if that one deacon's wife The long story, Jesus forgave me and her wounds are healed. She doesn't have the scars anymore. Praise the Lord. I don't bite. I'm telling you, if if it's me, let me know. I'm not going to say I'm going to cow down to what you want, but I, I don't want you leaving the kingdom, leaving the body, leaving the family, just because I may have not been thinking, or you may not have understood where I was coming from. That's what, if, if you handle your marriage like most people handle church, it ain't going to last, man. <laughs> so please. I don't want to overdevelop this, but there is a passage that tells us in 1 John 2.19. It says, these people left our churches, but they, were, they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. I want you to belong. And, and I want... <laughs> Man, if it's another church in town and I can help, I get it. We're not for everybody. I know. I wish we were. It'd be cool, you know. But just belong in the family. Okay? Own that. You with me? Amen? Amen. Okay. Got a little close there, but hey, we're, we're, we're alive. Oh, and just for free, throw this in. You know, church can look a lot of different ways. Church can look like this. This is cool. Church can look like a living room. It can look like a coffee shop where people gather, they connect with each other and they connect with Jesus. Worship can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's it's people sharing the thoughts they have that God's given them through the word, through their studies. And so just belong in the family somewhere. Okay? Okay? All right. So, there's a team, we're all part of that. There's a guide. There's a guide. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between the joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Bible is what I'm going to talk about right now, okay? And I'm going to talk about the Bible as two things I'm going to talk about it as a map and as a dictionary. A map and a dictionary. And Steve and I are going to get into this some in our next series called Starting Point. And I really hope everyone will be involved in a small group for that one. There's going to be more information coming out toward the end of the week. So you can get ahead of that and start figuring out where you can be involved somewhere. But the Bible is a great tool. It's a great tool to dig into you. To find those broken places inside of you. There's a reason that you're a mess. There's a reason that you have these broken places inside of you. There's a reason that you react and respond to things in unhealthy ways. In the Bible, that's one of its purposes, to dig into the soul and spirit of you for the purpose of healing you, cutting out the infection, and restoring God's redemptive plan in your life. And so the Bible is this powerful map that can lead inside of you, destroy the lies that are harming you, that are keeping you trapped, and dismantle the strongholds of lies that the enemy has built in your heart that are keeping you trapped, okay? So the Bible is incredibly powerful for that. The Word of God is alive and powerful. But it's also, it's, it's a map inside of you to your inner workings, what's wrong, what's right about you. But it's mainly, primarily, its purpose is to lead you to Jesus. And, and I hope you don't find this confusing, but... The Bible is awesome and very powerful, and I consider it authoritative, but its purpose is to lead you to Jesus, not the Bible. I think there's been a slight miscalculation in the kingdom, uh, in Christendom, in churches over the last 50, 60, maybe since the Reformation, that have elevated the Bible to a place where it is like God. It's the fourth fourth head of the Trinity or something. The Bible's purpose is to lead you to Jesus. Okay? Why do I say that? Because Jesus said so. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You search the Scriptures because you think the Scriptures give you eternal life. And Jesus says, but the Scriptures point to me. And then John took the liberty, if you will, to actually call Jesus The Word of God in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So when we talk about the Word of God, we're talking about Jesus primarily. Is the Bible authoritative? Is it important? Man, if you don't get in the Word, I don't know what to do for you. I'm not trying to... To, to discourage or anything like that, but man, you need the Scriptures in your life you, because there are so many things they do, and, and I will, I'll get to that in just a second. But the point is the Bible's a map that leads you through the strange, confusing inner workings of you and heal those places, but also and primarily and overarching leads you into Jesus who is the Word of God. Yes. Okay? So the Bible's a map, but it's also a dictionary. Ah. Uh, okay, sorry, I got confused there. It happens. I have all these notes and all these things I want to say, and I can't make it fit. So I'm just, it's a dictionary. God to English dictionary. This is why the Bible. This is why I believe the Bible is so important in your life. A lot of people tell me stuff like God told me something <clears throat> over the years. Uh, usually, they, God told them something for me to do. Usually that's how that works. You know, God told me that you need to, and off it goes, you know. And, and I bet all of us have been uh, hmm, recipients of that gift before. How sad It's a nice way to say it. When someone tells me that God told them something, I, I'm, I, I have a couple of questions that immediately pop up. First one is this. Does it agree with God's word? Number one question I'm going to ask. Does, does it agree with God's word? Now you may think, "Yeah, that's it." Does it agree with God's word? Let me remind you that God told one of His Old Testament prophets to preach in his underwear for a year. So when yeah, so when you say, "Does it agree with with God's in the Bible?" You just need to know there's some latitude there. You just need to know, okay? So it is important. Does this agree with God's word? And, what, and the error we can make is, what we, we think is, does it agree with my interpretation of God's word, which can really throw you off course, all right? So, the second question I, that I ask, and this one may be more important, is, does it agree with the character of God? Does it agree with... Because a lot of people are out there doing stuff in God's name that do not express the spirit of God. That's right. What do I mean by that? You know where the Holy Spirit is moving and you know where the Holy Spirit's at work because this is what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. These fruits begin to manifest love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control. And there's, there are others. That's how you know the Spirit's there. When you hear someone speaking and they're raising up judgment and wrath and anger and chaos and stress guess what spirit that is it ain't the holy spirit That's right. it's a spirit of the world a spirit of the flesh and so it's very important that when people say those things i want to ask okay is it uh does it match god's character? Does it match is it agreeable with god's word so here's how you're going to know the difference get into god's word why why, why get into God's Word? Because only through reading, thinking about, meditating, holding within you the Word of God are you going to be able to identify what God does, what He's like, what is His character. As you think about the stories of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, the, the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the more you chew on those, think about those, As, the more you let Scriptures that speak to you or that, you, that are important to you, sink into you, the more you're going to be able to identify what God's heart. And the more you know God's heart, the easier you're going to be able to see God's hand. You'll get to a point, I mean, you might be walking into, I like to use Walmart because it's the only big store in town. Kmart used to be, never mind, I don't want to talk about Kmart, I had a bad experience there. <laughs> You'd be walking into Walmart, and, and, and some, some person, you know, pulls out a cart and hands it to you. I don't know if you know this or not, but that, that is, that's a God kind of thing. I'm not saying they're a Christian, they're a believer, but it sure is an act of kindness. And, and so what I, what I like to look for is God's favor on me, on my life, and on others, And so when I see those kinds of things, because I don't know if you know this, but I'm God's favorite. (laughs) And I don't know if you know this about you, but you're God's favorite. He really likes you. That's what grace is about. He likes you. And so these these wonderful epiphanies happen in life because you realize now, you start reading the New Testament and the Old Testament and you begin to see God being so good and and something good happens to you. Someone gets you that, I like the little cards that I overfill and should have got a big card, but don't you hate it when they ask you, did you find everything okay? Like, yeah, and I found his stuff and her stuff and their stuff. These wonderful little things happen, and it's the hand of God. It's not just a stranger being nice. And I know that because I I see God's character in his word, and when I see evidences of his character in my community, I know that God's at work, and I see his hand. See what I mean? This is why you need to be in the Word because the more you know the Father's heart, the easier you're going to see the Father's hand because He is working in your life. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He loves the person next to you. He loves the people you don't like too. He's good. So good. And so that Bible that you have, as you learn it, it begins to lead you into... The, the goodness and the kindness of God. So, the Bible's your God. And the last thing I want to point out before I wrap up here is the, is the path. Last week we talked about the way, and, 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 to, and I want to conclude with how, why it's so important that we do this together, that we don't do faith alone. And I don't know that you have to have 30 friends walking with you on faith, but you need a couple. You need a couple. Why? Well, here's what Jesus said You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The Highway to Hell is not just an ACDC song. I was a teenager in the 80s. It's broad. And the gate's wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road's difficult. And only a few ever even find it. You see... The Christian life isn't isn't what everyone else is doing. It's not what everyone else is doing. If your life is in agreement with all of your unbelieving friends around you, you've got a problem. You've got a challenge. Because you might not be on the right road. And so the path is uh, for the... there's a way it's easy, but I got a clarification I'm going to bring back to that. There's a path that's, that's easy, but, but it's hard too, I guess. Doing what everybody else does is its own challenge and presents its own problems. But if you're actually going to follow Jesus, then that's difficult. And you need help. You need people to support you, you need people to help you see. It's a difficult path, it's sometimes hard to see. See, the Bible tells us in Psalm 119, as David's just prolifically writing about the power of God's word and God's commands in his life, he says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a a light for my path. Sometimes what you need to do isn't clear. And you need light. You need scripture to shine on that. So this path is difficult. And it's really, sometimes it's hard to see. You don't, often in life, I don't know what to do. And, and my dad gave me a scripture many years ago. I was in my, I was pastoring my first church. I was clueless. I'm still clueless, but at least I got 26, 27 years of cluelessness behind me now. But I was clueless and I didn't know what to do. We had a problem in the church. I can't even remember what it was now. And I called my dad and I was talking to him about it. And he says, you know, the word of God says in Proverbs, son, that the Lord sets the steps of a righteous man. Yep. So there are a lot of times, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I hope you got this one. <laughs> hope you've set my steps. The path's hard to see. Many, many lose their way, and we all lose our way, actually, and need someone to help us find the path. Another thing, I, I want to... The path is hard, and sometimes it's hard to know which way it goes. And so this is really important. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And so I know that prayer is one of the more challenging things in the Christian faith. It's, it's hard. Sometimes for me, prayer feels like I'm not doing anything. And it's taken me years to realize that the strongest, most powerful work I do is when I pray. When I pray, that's when, when, God, when I get out of God's way when I pray. And so if you are struggling with prayer in your life, we want to help with that. This is really important to your faith. It's if you aren't, if you don't have prayer in your Christian life, you are trying to live the Christian life while holding your breath. Prayer is breath to your spirit lungs. Okay? So prayer is so important to that. But not only is the way difficult and hard to see, it's also wonderful. It's wonderful. Paul writes to the Christians in 2 Corinthians, he says, all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through you. And we speak for Christ and we say, please come back to God. It's wondrous because part of walking the narrow way is bringing and finding people to bring home with you. We're gathering for a huge party. There's a there's a big party on the schedule. I don't have the date or the time, but I know I won't be late. I'll be there. And and one one of the wonders of getting to follow Jesus is I get to help other people follow Jesus. And before you sit there and say, Well, yeah, you're a pastor, dude. That's what you do. Nah. It's not because I'm a pastor, dude. That's not even my primary job. My primary job is to equip the body to to bring people to Christ. Uh, I I get to bring people to Christ because God is calling people back to himself through me, through my life, through my words, through my actions, through everything, okay? And so it's wondrous when I get to see someone come to faith. Last Sunday, after the message, uh, a, a young girl came forward with her mom, and she was she wanted to pray to follow jesus and be baptized and i got to pray with her and i am praying with this girl and i break down I'm just like i'm getting so emoti i don't know what the deal is yeah it's part woman that's it i'm sitting there i'm praying with this little girl And as I'm praying with her, and she's just a beautiful young lady, and and I'm praying with her, and I'm seeing this warrior princess, man. In my mind, I'm seeing this girl, and, and she's strong, and she's mighty, and she's beautiful, and she's victorious. And I'm like, yes, that's what Jesus saves you to be, mighty and victorious and powerful, man. Everything, he redeems everything. Everything that got lost and wrecked in the Garden of Eden, Jesus more than makes up for in the New Testament. It's all redeemed. And so I was afraid just broke down thinking about it. It was just a glorious moment. Angels were rejoicing. We got to baptize those 14 people a few weeks ago. Man, that's just, I pulled a hamstring, but it it was worth it. It was worth it. Why? Because we were baptizing in 18 inches of water. We're going to bring our own water next year. And then, it's wondrous because people come home and they find Christ and they begin to get whole and healed, and that's what I love. And I I really want you as believers to know that that's the package, by the way. That, That God isn't just saving you to sit in a chair and go to church and live your normal life and be miserable and hurt through it. He's saving you to heal you and put you back together. I really want you to get that. But it's also wondrous because the God of the Old Testament that uh, took out cities, wiped out Egypt, that uh, they did crazy stuff. One of my favorite stories is when Elisha, was it Elijah? It was Elisha. When Elisha died, they buried him in a cave. Several years later, an, an, an army band was coming through and one of their men was killed. They didn't know what to do with the body, so they rolled the stone away from that cave and threw the guy in. As soon as he hit Elisha's bones, he popped to life. <laughs> You woke up going, what happened? What happened? <laughs> God's powerful. Yes, He hasn't stopped being a powerful man. That's right. I, I don't know if you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 where it talks about the glory of the new covenant far exceeding the glory of the old covenant. But I'm telling you the wondrous things that, that God can do. And if you're struggling that you need a miracle in your life, I get that. I don't know what God's going to do. I do know this. He still performs miracles. He still heals. He still fixes relationships. He sets people free of their bondage and addictions. God is in the miracle business. God is still in the miracle business. He hasn't quit. And just because you haven't got your miracle doesn't mean God quit doing miracles. There are ways that we can find and discover him. So it's a wonderful journey. Let me kind of put it to you how this works and why we need each other. So my mom and dad live in Tennessee. It's a 20, almost 24-hour drive. And when we go, I have to drive I-80 all the way across Wyoming, all the way across Nebraska. God help us, Nebraska. <laughs> when you get on the interstate, that's kind of like the Broadway. And you get on it because it's faster. And you want to go fast. But... But the Broadway is like I-80 in the summer, which I like to call construction season.
1: <laughs>
0: Wyoming has four seasons, winter, 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 road construction. And, and it's, like, it's like that because you get on the, the Broadway in hopes of, you're thinking, I'm going to go fast, I'm going to get out of this state in a hurry and through Nebraska in a hurry and all that kind of stuff. But then you get out there and it's bumper to bumper trucks that can only go 65, and when they pass each other, they do it at .00001 miles per hour. And, and you're out there on the highway and you're supposed to be going fast. You were lured into this as was everyone around you with the hope of, of fast, journey, quick, and efficient. I'm on my way, but you get out there and it's not. It's stressful. Why did they put I-80 on the ugliest part of Wyoming? because they hate the country. That's No, it's because Wyoming said we don't want people moving here. That's what it was. That's what it was. Put it through the worst stretch of snowy mountains. The, the, uh, when the Vietnam veterans came back and started driving trucks and driving I-80, they called uh, I-80 through, uh, on the other side of Rollins, the Snow Chi Minh Trail. That's, that's, that's a fact. So, you get out there and you have this everyone's on it because it's faster it's quicker and you have this promise but it's not like that at all it's stressful. And when you're done with I80 in Wyoming, you know what you have to look forward to if you're going east? Nebraska. You know what you have to look forward to if you're going west? Utah. Cut down to 70. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cut down to 70. You have this promise of the Broadway, that it's faster. But I'm here to tell you, yeah, it's advertised as the easy way, but it's not the easy way. Because you get to wherever you're going and, and you're just glad the trip is done. But the narrow way is a little different. Several years ago, a few friends and I took a hike up to one of the lakes up in the higher mountains past Louis Lake. And it was uphill the whole way. It took three hours to go two, two and a half miles. And it was me and a couple of friends and a couple of our kids. And we're, we're hiking up trails, and it's uphill the whole way. And we're tired, and it was beautiful. It was hard. And every now and then we would run into someone else who was on the path, and everyone I met was smiling. It was a hard journey. There were curves. You were hiking around trees and up the side of hills, and almost none of it was downhill. And when we got there, I was exhausted and completely inspired. That's the narrow way. You need someone with you. You, you can't do it alone for two reasons. One, you need, you need someone to talk to, to be a companion. You need someone to outrun if a grizzly bear shows up. You need someone to help you if you get in trouble. Sometimes the path isn't clear. Even on those well-hiked trails, sometimes you aren't sure where to go and two heads are better than one. You see, we need each other. We need to support each other. We need to get behind each other. We need to hold each other up. We need to give to each other. We need to share with each other. Yes, the narrow way is tough. I am not saying that it's easy. I am not saying Jesus is going to fix all your problems. He's going to fix your major problems. (sighs) But I am saying that when you walk this path with Jesus, He inspires your life. He gives you you companionship and He gives you joy. And yes, that next hill may be a doozy, but the view on the other side is worth it. Don't do this alone. Do this with the family. Make friends today. If you are here and you've never connected with someone else in the body, make a point, of purpose to do that. If you see someone today, you don't know them. Make it, make it your mission to know them before they leave. Do like I do. Ask them their name until you're too embarrassed to forget. That's what I do. I just keep asking until I feel stupid and then I remember. Because <sighs> we follow Jesus and it's challenging. And we need each other. Let's pray. Father, I I just want to thank you for the opportunity we get today to, um, to be together, to honor each other, to love each other. I thank you for this chance to install some leaders. I thank you for the inspiration that you give us every day. And in a world that's just Wrote and rhetoric and lies and garbage. There you stand with your truth and your word and your son. And you give us inspiration and joy and hope. And if we could ever just stop staring at our stupid problems long enough and, and look at the majesty that you surround us with, we'd be filled with, with joy and peace, not worry and fear. As the word you gave through the brother this morning Make us a whosoever. Make us the one that's like, I don't have the answers, but I'm following Jesus. And there's, these are my friends. We're following Jesus. We're doing this together. I pray, Lord, that you, you help us as a body of Christ to be very connected with each other and very aware of our need to, to honor God with others in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. You can remain seated at the moment. I'm going to ask, first want to ask John and Tammy uh, if they can handle it, if, uh, if they would come forward, and my wife, Christy, uh, if you, my wife's been working in kids' church for several weeks now, so you may not know that she's my wife. You may think, she isn't the same woman I saw him with last time. Um, and then if I could get Steve and Becky also, if they would join us up here. And I'm about to bring you other guys up, so just stay calm. All right, should I move over here? Let's move that table over here. Steve, would you help me out? Will it, the, the legs fall out? We're oh. this. We are? Let me get that stand out of the way. All right. So I wanted to introduce everybody. Um, you know Steve. You get to see him every week. You probably know Becky because she uh, gets around the room and says hi to people and so forth. But this is Steve. And Becky Williams. Too. Does everybody know them? I want you to know them. They're they're an important part of our staff here. In their faith. And this is this lovely lady here is uh, my wife, Christy, and I love her more than anything. And she, uh, I I think she has the hardest job in the church, keeping me straight. And so, believe me, yeah, so. And I don't know if you know John and Tammy. John, they're such background servants around here. There. Uh, And anyway, Ordinary Faith would not be here without John and Tammy Orr. uh, They're a great blessing. They've been on our leadership team from the beginning. And so, uh, in fact, up say what? Before the beginning. That is true. That is true. In fact, up until last year, um, most of our leadership team had been there from the beginning. But then last year, um, uh, the Smiths left us and then they retired. I'm mad at them over it, but I'm happy for them too. And uh, the Peaks had a job change, and it took them away. And they, they, they hadn't been with us as long. So today what I want to do is I want to bring up uh, Paul Pertelli and Stephen Louise Wright. So if you guys would come forward. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good idea. <sighs> what we're going to do is I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read some words of blessing over them and anoint them with oil as a, it's a New Testament thing. It's something they did. And then I'm going to invite you to join us in prayer. And what I mean by that is that we're going to kind of come up and stand around and pray over them. Because we do everything through teams. And so how the leadership team works is, one, they, they keep me accountable. They, help, they, they are a place that they do two things for me. One, they, they make sure I don't go insane, which is highly probable. And uh, two, they also protect me because uh, they, they make sure that that I manage, help me manage my time, make sure I don't uh, work myself to death, work myself to a point of, of quitting. But also, they also protect me when, when sometimes people get upset at me and they kind of run as a layer to insulate me from that. And so they're very, very helpful. That's one of their many jobs. The other one is, is that they love and listen to this body. They're always around talking to people and listening and finding out what God's doing so that they can lead. That's how they serve to lead. So Paul is right behind me. I didn't mean to block him off here. And uh, Steve and Louise began in January in a mentoring process. You don't just, well, we don't just go out and find, oh, they work hard. Let's put them on the leadership team. That would be nice, but it's not how it works. Uh, we have a, a six to 12 month mentoring process where they, they sit in on meetings. They go through all the church's values. We catch them up on the church's history and uh, kind of get everyone up to speed. And then they work in the meetings and begin to be part of the decision-making process so they can see how it works. The leadership team does not uh, vote. We don't vote on stuff. It moves through complete unity. If we don't have 100% unity, it doesn't happen. And so uh, a lot of things don't happen because of that, but it also keeps us out of a lot of trouble. (laughs) So that's kind of how it works. So what we're going to do today is I want to share some words with them, and I'm going to ask you to join me as we... Uh, anoint them, okay? You ready? Yes, you're scared, you don't know what's going to happen, it's okay. The Bible says in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, I'm going to read a selection of scriptures. The Bible says in Titus 1 5 that Paul writes to Titus, he says, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete your work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. So appointing people to lead over us is a, a biblical mandate. It's something that we are to do. But then he tells Timothy, he says, never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. So that's why we have our mentoring process in place. Time to build relationships, time to become a team and a family. And so that's the process. Um, So Ephesians 4.11 is the basis for what I told you earlier about uh, Steve and I being uh, primarily equippers, but also the leadership team seeing its mission is to equip the body of Christ. So the Bible says this in Ephesians 4.11, Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I want to remind you guys and the church that Christianity in the Western world and in America is in a a landscape in which it's never existed before. The world has changed. Church has been changing for many years, but what's happened in the last 18 months has changed everything. And so as you pray for these people that lead this body, please be aware they're walking new ground that no generation and no leaders before them have ever stepped in. They have no idea what to expect and none of us know where we're going from here. We are really at a point where we're, we're shining the light of God's word and taking the steps as the light arrives. And it's filled with many wonderful surprises, and your pastor loves surprises. But our mission has not changed. We're still here to invite people to God. So important. I don't know what the next 10 years is going to bring. I don't know what's going to happen in the governments and politicians and all that stuff of the world, but my mission hasn't changed I'm still here telling you, encouraging anyone who wants to listen here and out in the community that Jesus is the answer. He's the hope. And that is our mission. It has not changed. The last thing I'll read before we do this is Luke 22. Jesus said, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. I think Jesus is being sarcastic there. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. This is how leadership happens in the church. It is those we pick up the basin and the towel and serve the body of Jesus. So, if you want to gather around me, if you want to stand up, or you've been sitting there a while anyway, and just want to gather around in a semicircle, we want to pray. If you don't want to come up, it's totally okay. We know this is weird, but it's important. And we're just going to pray. Steve, I want to ask you to help me, okay? I know I didn't give you a chance to prepare for that. You don't have to. I mean, no. You don't have to prepare is what I meant to say. All right. I just want to thank you guys for your in the process. I know it requires patience in the process. And there's so much to learn. So the body's gathered around. If you want to put your hand on the shoulder around you, just don't touch the shoulder. He has surgery. He said it's okay on his head. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So um, we at Ordinary Faith as this body it represents Jesus in this community in the way that He's ordained us to do, anoint you as leaders on our leadership team. So I'm going to put oil on you guys' head. I'm going to go ahead and have you start praying and then I'll close in prayer while I'm doing that. Is that okay? Yep. All right, okay.
1: Father God, we come this morning. We thank you for these new leaders. We thank you that you have raised them up in our midst. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for Steve. We thank you for Louise that you have called them to help guide and direct your church in the method and the plan that you have for ordinary faith. We thank you that they come not as experts, not as important, but as simple people who've been here for many years, participating, helping carrying the, carry the load behind the scenes. We thank you that you have called them to step forward. And this day, as we install them as leaders of our body, we ask that you would give them wisdom. We ask that you would give them insight. We ask that you would give them strength and ability to help lead your church.
0: Father God, we release over them energy. The uh, pneuma of the Spirit, the energy of Jesus in their lives and you have already demonstrated them and demonstrated that in them in their their service and their actions. We release over them incredible peace as challenges arise, questions and problems and conflicts that don't have apparent answers. Lord, I pray for the peace of Jesus to know that Father will guide through every treacherous path. And I release over them joy as as they listen to people and they share of their broken places and they're able to point them to the joy of the Lord as a strength, not, not just a, a, an unattainable reality. And just smiles and fun in their faith and in their walk. I, I, I release over them encouragement. I pray, Lord, that you would help this body to encourage them daily, weekly, monthly, to just get behind them and hold them up. To not put them on a pedestal for the enemy to target, but to hold them up on their tired, shaky legs and to be a, a, an Aaron and a Hur like they were to Moses to, to support them. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them, Father, perception, a spirit to be able to see the possibilities and the opportunities in every single life. That they would be able to look at the most broken soul and see what God's hope and dream is for that person. And then, Lord, I pray for them that you would hold them up. I pray, Lord, for the, the comfort that comes when we grieve over the lives that we've tried to help and they weren't ready. The lives we've tried to heal and they just weren't there yet. And how discouraging and fearful and and how grievous it is. But Lord, I release the comfort of the Spirit. That in those most discouraging moments, the embrace of Christ would be so complete. So entire. That Lord, their faith would not only be, be sustained, but it would be strengthened and buoyed. So I ask you that you would make their ministries mighty in the sight of Jesus. That they would honor God as they followed Jesus and they would help this body to connect to its Savior. Thank you. I can't believe your goodness. Thank you for raising them up for such a time as this. And I I guess the last thing I release is wisdom. Lord, we don't know what you're doing in the world. All we can do is take the next step. I pray for the wisdom to see and the faith to take the next step with Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Let's sing right where we're at. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I am found, was blind, but now I see. In the name and the grace of the Lord Jesus, be blessed as you go today. Thanks for being with us. Amen. 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 Welcome to the team.